Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nitty Sports Now Network. He's Kevin Quigley. I'm Jared Prugar. Kevin, it's been one heck of a weekend for Penn State football, good and bad. They land a receiver and they fire their receivers coach. Crazy timing, but I think that's just how it all played out. Yeah, I think we have to question, is this a coincidence or is this kind of what was necessary? Um, Good luck to Taylor Stubblefield and his search for a new job, but uh, Penn State is commencing what James Franklin has called a nationwide wide receivers coach search. And uh, I'm not well versed in the wide receiver coaching ranks. Uh, but more, most importantly, he is the offensive uh, recruiting lead. Yeah, and I think that was where Stubblefield struggled. I think it was made a very well known late um, that he wasn't the greatest uh, as far as recruitment went. But as far as skills and, and stuff as a coach on the field and on and at practice, I think he was doing just fine. Penn State hadn't had any issues at the wide receiver position. You know, you, you kind of hope that – Parker Washington and Keontae Lambert Smith made a better jump or an earlier jump, but they were also kind of locked by Jahan Dodson and and guys like that. So there's that. But joining guys in the room, joining Keontae Lambert Smith in the room next year is going to be Dante Cephas from Kent State. Now he's going to enroll at Penn State in May, finish this semester with uh with Kent State or at Kent State, I should say. And then he gets two years of eligibility with the Nittany Lions. And that is a big, big signing for Penn State or, or big, big commitment because of what they've already lost at that position. Yeah. And the important thing is that Penn State's receiver room for next year isn't that deep. It's not that experienced. And this guy has been in the college ranks for four years. Uh, started with back, all the way back in 2019. He's got the COVID year extra of eligibility, and he's been basically the pinnacle part of that uh, Kent State offense for the last two years. Uh, he led the team in receptions and, and yards in 2021. Uh, they had a much more prolific quarterback who threw for 3,400 yards. So he had 1,200 yards in 2021 and nine touchdowns. That's, that's almost a third, a little bit over a third of the total offensive air yards there. And then Kent State got a new quarterback this year, only threw for 2,500 yards total as a team. So his production went down in about half the receptions to 48 and about a little, excuse me, a little bit more than half the yards at 744 and only three touchdowns. But both years he averaged over 15 yards of reception. And if you want that go-to guy and the guy that can kind of make big plays, he had a 54-yard gainer this year and then a long of 80 last year. So if you're looking for the guy that can kind of take maybe the top off the defense, 6'1", 186, that's pretty good size out there. So got to like the stats, got to like the measurables. We'll see what happens come May. I'm I'm pretty excited. That was the one area of the concern that we've had over the past couple of weeks. It's like, what is that wide receiver room going to look like next year? And I think this is a a good key addition. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is, you know, you need a guy like this to take the top off, especially Kendrick Lambert Smith. We don't necessarily know what to expect from him, Um, but this brings Cephas home. He's a Pittsburgh native. He went to Penn Hills, went to Kent state. You know, he felt fielded offers from Notre Dame, West Virginia and Pittsburgh. 
And, you know, I think it's a good situation. Um, clearly, you know, he, there's only another one other, um, one other freshman that's coming in uh, and that's four-star Carmelo Taylor. So they needed this given the fact that Parker Washington had, had gone to the NFL. Um, so, I mean, that's the other thing too, is now you get to see what he's got and they've done very well. And I, I forgot to mention Mitchell Tinsley up to the NFL too, but th- losing those two guys, you need to have guys like this in the fold. Uh, and it, it, and it shows that Penn State can still go out and get a top tier receiver. Now you just hope that that starts to happen uh, on the recruiting trail and not the portal portal trail. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where maybe that's why Taylor's double field got relieved of his duties. Is that yeah, he's coaching up the guys on campus, but he's not bringing in those big time guys. And you know, you need a guy like hate to say his name, Julian Fleming, like. The fact that he got out, I forget what what year did he go to Ohio State. I don't even know if Stubblefield was recruiting him, but like those are the guys that like they're in the backyard, and you need to go get them. And like you got to go get some New Jersey kids. You got to go get the Maryland wide receivers. And we've seen there's an interstate over to Columbus, Ohio, with no exits at State College. So they're gonna try to. They're probably gonna find a really good wide receiver coach, but also a guy who can seal the deal on those top level wide receivers because that's what they need. Well, and it's bizarre because you know you look at. Devin Carter, he flipped from Penn State to West Virginia. We talked about it right after the Rose Bowl. He commits, uh, I think, just out of pure emotion, realized it's, oh, crap, maybe I made a mistake. And listen, you're never going to fault a guy for that, fault a kid for that. But, you know, now that this has worked out for Cephas, I'm very interested to see what Franklin has in store for the wide receiver position because he doesn't make this type of decision without already having somebody, you know, and and I think that in in my opinion, I think that's kind of the case. He knows, um, he knows who he's got. You know, it's kind of like Kirk Shiraka and then Mike Yurcich comes in, and that was the longest time from 2020 until just now was the most stable the wide receiver room had been coach wise in quite some time. They were going, they went through David Corley, Jared Parker, um, just to name a few, and. Now you you bring in and you solidify that with stability. Uh, clearly, it didn't work out on the recruiting trail, but now for James Franklin and company, they get to they get to bring in another guy, and it'll be interesting to see who they can bring in to to revamp that room and just not necessarily revamp, but also just reload. Uh, and I think they have the right the right guys there, but it's just finding you know finding the right mix of guys and the right fit on the coaching staff because now. You know, pending anything crazy, everybody's going to be there for multiple years. And for next year, you've got Jay Wan Sider, who's um, now the assistant head coach. You've got Manny Diaz back. You've got John Scott Jr. back. You've got Anthony Poindexter back. Terry Smith uh, is back. Stacey Collins is back. Tyler Howell or Ty Howell is back. So you've got guys that are, that are there that are stable. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what the next step Franklin takes here moving forward. Yeah. And like you said, they need, uh, they need that stability. And I think you're starting to see some of the assistants that are there. They're starting to really gain a lot of traction, like Phil Trotwine recruiting the hell out of the offensive line. And he's building those connections. And I forget who was talking about it 
uh, one of the commits for this year is just like, man, it, you probably don't, maybe don't necessarily want to see your coach as a brother, but that's how some of these guys are seeing him. And it's like, he, he was like, yeah, he came to my house and played mad with me. Like these, these coaches are starting to gain some traction and there's stability in the room and the coaching staff and the ranks. And that's what you want. And that's how you start building the programs to get to college football playoff level expectations. And that's when you start meeting them. One of the names thrown out that I've heard is Bobby Ingram. Uh, so if you're a Penn State fan, you definitely know who Bobby Ingram is. And clearly he was not retained at Wisconsin. But it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there. Um, it'll be it'll be neat. It'll be fascinating to see how this goes. I mean, it, it's been a, a year or two since we've had to deal with a coaching search. But again, I would I would expect sometime this week that we hear about who the new receivers coach will be at, at Penn state. But when we come back here in the second segment, we're going to talk about some things that we might not feel so strongly about for Penn state leading up into next year. So we'll catch you after this break on the last Out podcast on the Nitty sports now network. Welcome back to the, the second segment of the Lashing Out podcast in the Sports Now Network. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Kevin, you know, we've been really, really positive lately, but let's get into the eh, what are we not feeling so hot about right now uh, with Penn State? Yeah, I think we just kind of continue what we said in the first segment. It's they got Dante Cephas in the room. They've got him. On, we'll have him on campus in May. They got him in the receiving room. And what kind of growth does Keandre Lambert-Smith have going into next year? What kind of growth does Harrison Wallace have? How well does Cephas mesh into that system? Who do they bring in as a wide receivers coach? I think that's big. Drew Aller is going to need people to throw to. They're going to need to be getting open. So those players maybe don't do that the best now. Maybe they don't catch the best. They have what? eight months to get ready for the season. So they got a lot of time to grow there. And then um, tight end room looks fine there. And then I think defensive side of the ball is where we really start to have questions is we said they've rolled eight or 10 quarterbacks all year. They had a good, pretty good safety rotation, but you're losing probably two first round draft picks in Joey Porter Jr. and Jair Brown. Maybe Jair is a second or third rounder, but it's, those are pivotal pieces. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Jair Brown is a big is a big time loss. I think Joey Porter Jr. You know, they showed in the Rose Bowl that they can handle it. Um, so that I think is something to look forward to. But yeah, I mean, offensively, I think the receivers are are kind of the question mark now. With Cephas in the fold, I think that definitely boosts that up, where it takes a lot of the stress and the pressure off of uh, Keandre Lambert Smith, which is a plus. Um, you know. It'll be interesting to see kind of how Trey Wallace develops. Um, tight ends, I think, are still going to be strong. Uh, running backs, obviously, you know, you know we haven't talk, touched on Kevon Lee hitting the transfer portal. I'm not overly surprised by that. Uh, there are so only so many carries you can get. But, you know, it, it's a guy that you hate to see leave, but you completely understand why he's got to go. Uh, so And he left the so, right way. Yeah, he finished the season. He did everything that he needed to do. And typically that does happen at Penn State. They don't leave abruptly. They don't, you know, 
They don't do those sorts of things. But but again, you you just have to see what's going to go on and, and what's going to happen here and, and see how things play out. I think up front, uh, yeah, losing P.J. Mustafer is a, is a big-time loss, but and, and Nick Tarburton to an extent, but I think they're going to reload. Um, it's just I, receiver – the receiver position, I think, was the biggest question mark um, just because Keandre Lambert-Smith hasn't proven himself yet, and that's not a knock on him. He just hasn't had very many opportunities. I mean, he's, you know, thrust into the limelight as a, as a freshman, but you're still behind Jahan Dotson uh, and Parker Washington. And then when he does get his time to shine, he makes the most of it, but that's a small sample size. So now with Cephas in the fold, add that to the mix. Uh, add, I think, the emergence of Trey Wallace. I think you got a good recipe for success. Um, and the secondary, I mean, Keaton Ellis is coming back. Uh, yeah, and that's, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to be Jair Brown by any means, but, again, you've got experience on the back end. You've got experience at corners. Uh, and I think that kind of alleviates some of that concern or that worry moving forward. Yeah, and then I think the only last concern I have on the offense is it's Drew Aller. Mm-hmm. He's a five-star recruit, number one quarterback coming out of high school. He sat behind an 18-year starter in Sean Clifford, who, despite all that we said about him, he was a gamer. And when you gave him the ball with two minutes left in the fourth quarter down with down a score, he's probably leading that drive. So it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, the college football season is going to start the way the college football season does with your not harder your schedule. Uh, you know, whether they have West Virginia and UMass and everybody else lined up before we get to Ohio State, before we get to Michigan. But it's going to be interesting week one, you know, if we get a little bit of a pressure situation, uh, Penn State lays an egg or, you know, he throws a couple early picks like Trevor Lawrence. Does he come bounce back and throw four four touchdowns in the second half to lead him to victory or does the office kind of just sputter? I'm not saying that this will happen, but – it's going to be his first college start. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm interested to see what he's got because like we said, um when you when you get to campus, you don't have any stars anymore. So to see what Drew Aller is all about, I think we saw a glimpse of that this year. I think he's been one of the most poised players that I've seen play at Penn State in the pocket in quite some time, but I'm interested to see what the full body of work is going to look like. Now he enters, he, he gets a line where he returns pretty much everybody except for the center, um, which is a plus, but he's got two stud running backs. He's got an experienced tight end room and he's got an okay set of wide receivers that still have to kind of prove themselves, but that's a good situation to be handed to um, when you're only a sophomore. Yeah, it's kind of like Brock Purdy You're giving the keys to a first-class offense and say, well, kid, just don't mess it up. And if you're going to take a pressure – if you're going to have a guy making his first start at home against West Virginia, I want him I want him giving the keys to a Cadillac and be like, yeah, this thing's going to run and just turn the key and press the gas pedal. You're not going to have a lot of pressure. Things not going to be burning oil and losing wheels. I I don't. I'm not doubting him. I'm just saying that is that is a question. He's not faced yeah, I mean, adversity he, at the it's college un, level. He's unproven. At least you know with Sean Clifford, you knew kind of what you were going to get, and there was that experience factor that matters, and this matters too. So it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how that goes moving forward. 
But we're going to get into the third and final segment here right after this quick break on the Nittany Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Flashing Out Podcast and Nittany Sports Now Network. Kevin, it's a free-for-all. Let's have some fun. I love I, – I think postseason rankings are kind of pointless, but, 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 but they're not pointless when it comes to how salty and petty Pat Narduzzi and James Franklin are when it comes to coaches' poll votes. James Franklin didn't, didn't vote for Pitt to be in the final coaches poll. Meanwhile, Pat, Mar- Pat Narduzzi had Franklin's Penn State team as low as as low as any other coach in in all of football. I love it. Um I'm here for it and I can't get enough of it. Yeah, I wish that rivalry it's great on Twitter. It's great on social media. It's great in the coaches poll because it's the final one. No one no one ever pays attention to it. So it's a good little the last parting jab for nine months. Um, we just need it. We need to battle that rivalry again on the field. Pitt's, Pitt's trying to come back to prominence. Penn State is budding into a national powerhouse. These could be some barn burner games. And I know the financials behind it. Pitt, Penn State doesn't want even home games shared with Pitt because of the ticket share revenue. Huh? excuse me, Acrisure Stadium has a considerably less capacity than Beaver Stadium does, but man, we need to get this. Can you imagine the fireworks? Like, I don't know, Penn State just pulls on, like, beats them like Maryland, like 55 to nothing or something, like week one or two of the season. And then, like, Pat Narduzzi has to go shake James Franklin's hand or, you know, I hate to say it, but Pat Narduzzi's pit team walks off against Penn State and Beaver Stadium like 38-35 or something. And James Franklin's got to go shake his hand. Like We are missing out on some potential fireworks on the field from an old-time rivalry, and we're missing out. Like I don't want to play West Virginia. I know it's an old-school rivalry, but let's play Pitt. I say play both. I like I like both, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I was a sport management major when I went to Robert Morris, and one of the assignments that they gave us and one of my classes was to, to develop a schedule. And in my Penn State schedule, I had West Virginia and Pitt. And there are two reasons why I – or a couple of reasons why I had I did it like that. Number one, um, I love that type of rivalry. I think it's meaningful. Um, whether you beat them or not, you know, I think I just think it, it, it's good for everybody involved. Number two is travel. Travel obviously doesn't matter when your schools are pulling in twenty to thirty million dollars a year from broadcasting rights, um, but and broadcasting deals. But at the time, it wasn't quite like that. Keep in mind, this is year uh, ten that I will be graduated from Robert Morris coming up here in twenty twenty three. So a lot has changed in just ten years, but it's good for this, especially for Pitt and Penn state. It's good for the Commonwealth um, because, you know, as great as Penn state playing Villanova or temple is everybody knows Pitt. Everybody knows Penn state. And I think it deserves to be played, but the amount of egos, you know, I, I think we'll never be able to let that happen. And the reason for that is Pitt, Pitt just doesn't want to do a two for one. They want to play every other year 
at Heinz, or I'm sorry, Acrisure Stadium. Um, and I and listen, I don't. I respect blame that. Them. I, yeah, I absolutely respect that. But let's be real here. Um, you know, Penn State is going to fill that place up with 107, 110,000 people every time they play. That's a good draw, and it sure as hell beats playing Ohio or a team from the MAC. Or no Delaware. disrespect for them. Yeah, right. Um, so I think that that's that matters too. But it also is a challenge. And but at the same time, Penn State doesn't need another challenge because in the Big Ten they play Michigan, Penn, Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State all on the same schedule. So I, I see why it doesn't happen, but I do wish it happened a lot more. Because I think everybody benefits from it. I would love the Twitter battles. I would love the press conference battles. And man, I would. It's nice to see that raw, that raw emotion every once in a while from everybody involved. I'd, I'd even have like inner family ri- rivals because everybody, pretty much everybody, but my grandfather in the family is a Pitt person, and then my grandfather, dad, and I are all Penn State. So that would be fun and the Quigley, Quigley family showdown every year. But you know. Would be nice if Pitt had their own stadium, and then they could do neutral site at Acrisure. But that's a whole another debate there. Uh the Pitt Stadium debate—that's uh, a tale as old as time. But, but yeah, and that's so. It's one of those things, and you wish that it would happen. And of course, we are not the powers that be. But let's before we take before we take off and let you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, before we talk to you again. What would your ideal non-conference schedule be, Kevin? I I think you get rid of all the FCS opponents. You maybe play one group of five, and then you go two out of conference games, and you rotate between the four other the four other power conferences. So one year you grab an SEC and a Big Twelve. The next year you grab a Pac twelve and an ACC. Like I want to start seeing some cross country. The TV TV deals are so lucrative. I mean, there's no way ESPN can't pay for some flights. There's no way Fox can't pay for some flights to cover those expenses. But like Utah and Penn State, they've been budding on prominence for, and granted, football schedules are made 10 10 years out. But it was the first time Penn State and Utah played each other. When's the last time Penn State played Florida or, you know, Maybe they have a national championship rematch with Miami. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, you you see a lot of these premier kickoff games, and Penn State never is because of the way the Big Ten is set up. They're never in a position where that is possible, and that's unfortunate because those could be some serious games and serious money makers. Not saying that the other games aren't, but it's just one of those situations where. There's just so much more out there to challenge. And I think that's what happened with playing Auburn. Do you face that early challenge? And yeah, it sucks starting every game in the big, every season in the big 10 on the road, but you know, playing at Purdue on a Thursday, that was beneficial. It it challenged them early. Now you don't want to start like that. um, Typically, but I mean, looking ahead to next year's schedule, you start at, at home against West Virginia, which I think is great. I like Neil Brown, um, and and you can expect through our our network of, of websites, both West Virginia and Penn State, we are going to be covering that game 
with full capacity, like with everybody and every anybody and everybody that can do that, we will be there for that game. Um, then they host Del- Delaware. They're at Illinois, home against Iowa, at Northwestern, and then they host UMass. So, and then Big they get Ohio week. State. Yeah, in Big the middle of the season. Yeah, and then they get Ohio State, Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, and Rutgers. Now, the good news is Michigan is at home. They have to travel to East Lansing, and they have to travel to Ohio State, and they have to travel to Evanston. Uh, to take on Northwestern and same thing with Illinois, but at the same time, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty solid schedule for a team that is looking to do some damage nationally, but they started out with the big 12, see what they got. Um, is it always going to be responsible to, to travel to the pac 12? No, because USC and UCLA are going to be here anyway soon. Um, but to play a big 12 team or an sec team or an ACC team out of conference, I think is I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think it's it's worth a shot, even if it's a lower tier, like a Wake Forest or or something like that. But the issue is they need their wins too. They need to get their their six wins to get to a bowl eligibility. Sometimes that's not always easy, depending on the conference that you're in. Yeah, I think more Power Five matchups are better for college football. Like, what is the TV rating going to be for Delaware for the Delaware game? That would like, be a Big Ten Network game. Yeah, like. It's not going to be a barn burner. What if that was, I don't know. Hell, what if they pulled a Texas home and home or an A&M home and home, LSU home and home? I mean, I'd love to go to the Bayou in September. It'd be hot as crap, but I'd, I'd love, love to go, see him. Yeah, I'd love to go love see, to see one of those teams come come north. So, I mean, you do a home and home with them, like what Penn State did with Auburn. I just think if you get more Power 5 matchups, especially if you're rotating two conferences every year with mm-hmm. home and homes, you get more barometer games. You like, oh, well, this this is how they've kind of fared in the Big Ten, and this is what they did to their SEC opponent. And that's how they fared in the SEC. So it it gives you those barometer games because, like we saw in bowl season, some of these games are absolute barn burners and matchups and three point games going down to midnight kicks that one you kick it in twenty twenty two and it lands in twenty twenty three, and then other games teams just get boat raced, and like a lot of that has to do with like the locks for conferences like Purdue playing Florida. No. Do they play Florida? No, they played uh, LSU. Purdue played, I think it was LSU and they just got bo- they just got boat raced. So it's like yeah. you don't want to see that. You like if you had more barometer games, you could kind of know what to expect. Yeah, exactly. Um and I I mean you look at the schedule, I would not be surprised if West Virginia is a primetime game. Um looking ahead, uh September second, uh I'm only seeing Utah and Florida, the Urban Meyer Cup. Uh, it's probably the premier game because LSU Florida State is going to be on a Sunday, so I mean there, I would not be shocked to see game day potentially be in Happy Valley for West Virginia, um, but definitely that get that game is going to be played under the lights, and that's the other thing too. You you create that buzz, you create that matchup, and and bring it back, and and I think that's the that's the cool thing about this, whether they're playing Pitt or or West Virginia, play that local rival. And it's only going to help both teams because you're going after the same recruits, right? You're, you're, you're the guys that Penn, West Virginia is going after are pretty much the same as, as Penn State to an extent. So go out there, show them what you got, and and just see what happens. But other than that, you know, you got to put together a schedule that's going to work. But when you're playing as many conference games as the Big Ten is, it is so difficult to do that. 
and still maintain the level of success you have to make sure that you get to the Big Ten championship game. And that's in a conference or in a division that you have to play against Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State. Before we take off, Kevin, any final shot, any parting shots? I don't think I have any parting shots. Um, I did catch a little bit. I've been busy all weekend doing random stuff, but I did catch a little bit of the Giants-Vikings uh, game, and I think the first play I watched was Saquon's like 30-yard touchdown run. So he had first a pretty carry. good weekend. Was it his first carry? The first playoff carry, and he took it 29 yards to Pater. Um, he scored two touchdowns on the night. Uh, he was not, not the leading scorer, ironically enough. Um, so <laughs> Daniel Jones was 17 carries for 78 yards. They beat uh, the Vikings. Uh, Mike Asicki had a touchdown in the in the Dolphins' loss to the Bills. Uh, but two catch and he only hauled in two catches for 15 yards. One of them was the touchdown, which Micah Parsons takes on. Micah, Micah Parsons and Connor McGovern take on. Donovan Smith and Chris Godwin. Carl, well, Chris Godwin and Carl Nassib. Um, Monday night, we are recording this Sunday night, um, where Nick Bowers is playing for the Bengals, um, and Odafeoe is playing for the Ravens. But it's it's always fun to see Penn State players ball out on Sundays, right? And I think that's one of the things you kind of you kind of take for granted that James Franklin has done a very good job of getting guys to the league um, because ultimately that's their goal, right? At Penn state, the goal is to win national titles and, and do this and do that and, and all the, and all that, but also they have to, they have to produce and get to the NFL. And, and most of the guys that, that Franklin has sent there are having a lot of success. And I mean, you look at a healthy Saquon Barkley, I, uh, that is a fun sight to see. Now, interesting, uh, Interestingly enough, once again, for the third time this year, next week, we get to see Saquon versus Miles Sanders. So that is something I think to look forward to next week. But again, Penn State guys in the NFL, they're balling out. And it'll be interesting to see what Micah Parsons can do. Obviously, Connor McGovern isn't going to get a lot of love uh, being the center for the Cowboys. Now, I personally think that's great as a Cowboys fan. But, you know, here's hoping. Yeah, and you talk about NFL success. I have to wonder, like, how has Penn State wide receiver success not translated into recruits? You have Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, and uh, Jahan Dodson all doing really well in the NFL at various stages in their career. And Allen Robinson was balling out in Jacksonville and Chicago. (laughs) Poor Allen Robinson. This is the first year that he's really had a quarterback, uh, and he didn't really have them. With Matt, with Matt Stafford. Yeah, and it just hasn't translated. I mean, granted, Ohio State's putting 12 of them a year in the NFL, but it just hasn't, for some reason, it just hasn't translated well. And maybe that's part of the reason why they're commencing the uh, wide receiver coach search like we talked about in the first segment. So, yeah, good luck to all the Penn Staters in the NFL playoffs, and uh, we'll see which one is going to represent Penn State in the Super Bowl. The good news is, Kevin and I are solidly into this podcast. We, you don't, we don't have to go searching for anywhere, but please like us, rate us, comment on us, whatever you need to do. Uh, subscribe on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever Kevin has a set up on plus Spotify plus Apple 
Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, like us, review us, give us a shot. Download so that we can keep. Yes, download, download, download. Um, if you have 75 burner phones, download it on all. It doesn't matter if you listen, but we do appreciate you all for listening. Um, so thanks as always to Kevin quickly. Um, so for him, this has been Jared Prugar on the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Network. We'll see you again next week. Oh,